morning. Thank you, Brother Eric. We continue on our sermon in the book of Malachi, and we will be covering verses 6 through 14 this morning. I don't know about you, but I started to get nervous when someone or somebody t- uh, says they have good news and bad news. Did you ever get that before? Yeah. Have good news and bad news. Somehow the bad news always sounds worse. Somebody's compiled a list of good and bad news that preachers might hear, so a little bit of humor this morning before we get started. Good news, now that you have another elder, you don't have to prepare a sermon every Sunday. Bad news, he can preach better than you can. Good news, with your new wireless microphone, which we don't have, but we have one here, but everybody can understand your sermons. Bad news, the heart of hearing suddenly discovered they disagree with you. Good news, Mrs. Jones is wild about your sermon. Bad news, Mrs. Jones is also wild about keeping up with the Kardashians. Hope this is funny. I don't know if it's not. <laughs> Good news. Church attendance rose dramatically the last three weeks. Bad news. You were on vacation. Good news. It's Sunday. Bad news. It's Sunday. Laugh. Don't be so serious. The sermon will get more serious. Believe me. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Malachi. I guess I ain't that funny today. <laughs> Let's read verse 6 through 14. God's word says, A son honors his father and a servant his master but if i am a father where is my honor or if i am a master where is your fear of me says the lord of armies to your priests who despise my name yet you ask how have we despised your name by presenting defiled food on my altar how have we defiled you you ask when you say the lord's table is contempt contemptible when you present a blind animal for sacrifice is it not wrong And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of armies and now plead for God's favor. Will will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. If my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because of my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is devout and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. I am to accept this from your hands, asks the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male on his flock and makes a vow. But his sacrifices, but sacrifice a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies. And my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, as even through the sermon, Lord, we worship you, Lord, as we listen to your word, Lord, be preached this morning. Lord, let us give you the best of our lives. Let us give you the best that we have, Lord, in our time and our service with our finances, Lord. Everything that we have is from you, Lord, is your, by your grace, is a gift from you, Lord, and let us give it back to you, Lord, in the best ability that we are able to do so, Lord. Let us be uh, encouraged this morning by your word, but also rebuke them, that we may just grow closer to you, Lord, every day, Lord, as we live this life here on this earth, Lord. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Today, this passage we're going to study has some good news for us. There is actually good news. The good news is really good. That makes the bad news easier to take. The bad news, though, is disturbing. These words, although they were written 2,400 years ago, contain good news and bad news for us all here today. These words are written in God, to God's people, which we are God's people, who have returned. But it's speaking about the Israelites at that time. They were being returned after being in exile. And we're going to see that God gives good news to his people, but also diagnoses a problem which, if left uncorrected, will be fatal for them. That's why it's important for us to hear today. God's got his finger on a condition that we don't always know that we have. It's not all hopeless. There is good news as well as bad news. And it's important that we know that we have this problem, though, and to address it as soon as we can. So if we're in Malachi, the good news is, let's go to chapter, let's, let's go a little bit behind. Last week, Pastor Jarrah opened up the book of Malachi with verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. And it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you deeply, some translations say. I told you that the, the good news was really good, but God loves his people dearly and deeply. God loves you. If you're his son and if you're his daughter, God loves you. Do not forget that. <clears throat> Remember that. Even though you're going through a trial, tribulation, a hardship, God cares and he loves you. Amen? Amen. And it's not always obvious that he does, because you might be like, man, I'm going through some tough times right now. How is that that God loves me? How is it that I don't feel his love? But he truly does love you in the midst of that, if you're his son and his daughter. God spoke these words to a nation which had just spent years in captivity in Babylon. The good news is that even when life knocks it out of us, God says he loves us deeply. The ultimate expression of his love is Jesus Christ. Amen? Who showed us his love by dying for us. God loves us. He doesn't just say it. He actually demonstrated it 2,000 years ago on that cross. Shedding his blood for our, the remission of our sins. That we would... Be made right with God. The most famous verse in the Bible says, which we all know, right? For God so loved the world. John 3, 16. It's easy to read a verse like that and leave it as an abstraction. God's love for us isn't an abstraction. Right here, right now, God looks at you and he loves you. We are the object of our creator's affection. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read verses five, uh, 6 through 11. It says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We're all here ungodly, all of us. We're all ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have been now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more have we been reconciled will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also receive rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. This is good news. This is gospel truth for us. Amen? Amen. All right. Now we're going to go into a little bit of the bad news. 
I'm glad God gave the good news first, that he loves us, and he tells you, I love you, I care about you, I, I'm, I died for you. But because it helps us deal with the bad news, the bad news is that God has diagnosed us with a spiritual problem that needs correction. Left unchecked, this problem is spiritually fatal. When we go to the doctor, the doctor usually tells us things should be like, how things should actually be like, right? You got, I'm actually going to go this Wednesday to get a, a, a checkup with a doctor. So if you go to a doctor and he says a normal blood pressure reading is 120 over 80, then they'll tell us what our condition is. They might tell us that our blood pressure is 140 over 90. Then they will will tell us that what will happen if we don't deal with the problem, right? God takes the same steps. He tells us what we should be like, what we are like, and what will happen if we don't address the problem. So today we're going to be diagnosed by the scriptures, by God's word. It's what is checks how our spiritual life is, actually. So what, what, what should we be like? God begins by declaring what our relationship should look like. And he says, let's go to verse 6 of Malachi 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to your priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? And then it says in verse 11, My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. Verse 14, The deceiver is cursed who has acceptable who has acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifice a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. So this passage is like a triple-decker sandwich, and it, it's the beginning, the middle, and the end of this passage. God says, I am worthy of your worship. Is God worthy of our worship? Amen, Amen right? Just like it is just right for a son to honor his father. Any fathers here? You should have your sons honor you, right? If you have kids. Just like it's right for a son to honor his father, God is worthy of our honor. Every, everywhere in the world, there are people who are bringing honor to God. He is the great king and he is worthy of all our worship. Amen? Here's what God is saying. I am worthy of your worship. I am worthy of your worship. Worship is not just some songs and prayers. Sometimes we think of worship as just singing and praying, right? But worship is not limited to certain places and times. Worship is how we bring glory to God with all of our lives. All of our lives. Everything that you do, you guys. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. God says, I am worthy of being worshipped with all of your life. How are we doing that? How are we doing this morning with that? How's our lives looking like in regards to that? Let's auto-examine ourselves. So far, I think that most of us agree. There is probably nobody here who would agree or who would argue with the statement, God is worthy to be worshipped with all of our lives, right? I don't think anybody would disagree with that here. The angels worship him for who he is and what he has done. People today are gathering all over the world to worship God on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. Amen? The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God is worthy of our worship. That is a fact. 
One of my favorite hymns puts it in this way. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my what? Oh, amen? amen? So what are we like? What are we like? God spoke these words through the prophet Malachi. And probably everyone there said, tracking, got it, good points. Maybe you're hearing today's sermon like, yeah, that's good. Amen. God then delivered the bad news. They might have thought that they were worshiping God, but they weren't. God looked at their worship and said, I would rather you not worship me than, than, than worship the way you are worshiping me right now. Imagine that. God is saying, God, I'd rather have you not even worship me than what, the, what you're giving to me today or what you're giving to me right now. These are pretty strong words, right? Especially since we know that God is looking for worshipers. What, uh, what offended God so much was that he wasn't prepared to accept their worship. He rejected their worship. He was, no, 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 I don't want it. Centuries earlier, God commanded his people to bring him sacrifices as acts of worship. He had told them to bring animals without defects or blemishes. That's not what's happening when God spoke these words. Let's read verses 7 and 8, you guys. 7 and 8 of Malachi chapter 1. By presenting defiled food on my altar, how have we defiled you, that you ask? Again, this is a conversation that people are having, that the people of God are having with God. How have we defiled, how have we despised your name? Or, or how have we defiled you, you ask? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor as the Lord of armies? So think about it. Imagine you're going to meet the president or a governor or a big important person. Are you going to bring him leftovers? Like let's say someone's coming over to your house to have dinner. Are you going to serve him leftovers from yesterday, from last night? Or are you going to present the best meal that you have to have in your refrigerator for that day, for that time? going to present the best, right? Amen. Is God not worthy of our best, you guys? Yeah. Amen. He is, right? But verses 12 to 14 say, But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying it's all right to this defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your noses at his command, says the Lord of armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and mutilated, crippled, and sick presented as offerings. Should I accept from such offerings as these to ask the Lord? Cursed is the, is the cheat who promises to give fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. You see the problem that's going on right here, you guys? They're giving God the worst, the, 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 the sick, the defiled, the, the leftovers. They're not giving God the best that they got. We read, it, we read this and say, what a bunch of jerks. They're like, man, those guys are jerks. How are they doing out of God? God got them out of Babylon, and here they are, you know, giving God their leftovers, the worst, the, the things that had, that I, don't, you know, I don't mind giving this to God, but oh, not this. I want to keep this for me, for myself. Instead of giving the best animals to God, they would look for the animals that were good for nothing else and offer those to God. Instead of giving God their best, they were giving God their hand-me-downs. They're broken and useless animals. Terrible, right? The problem wasn't just with the animals. It was with the thought behind the animals. You guys. God wasn't offended because he needs what we have. God does not need what you guys have, what I have. He doesn't need us. We get that straight. He doesn't need any of us. 
It's about priority. When we give God what's broken, useless, and leftover, we're communicating that we think he that what we think he's actually worth. That's what you're saying. Oh God, you're not worth anything. We're giving you this because I don't really think I don't value you. I don't think you're worth much. We're attaching a value to God and saying, you're really not worth that much. And sometimes we don't really mean it. I think I think most of us will say, no, we really think God is number one and we, we love God and we want God to be first in our lives, right? Because that's the first commandment, the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love all everything else. So sometimes we're, we don't really mean it, but our actions speak louder than our words, right? And we're saying to God, you're really not worth that much. It's a heart issue. We all got a heart problem here. Sometimes our hearts deviate from worshiping and loving God as we should. Not a heifer, which is a small cow or animal sacrifice. God is not even just really caring about the actual animal that we're, that they're supposed to sacrifice to him. They, he, he's, God is concerned, you guys, this morning with your heart, with my heart. How is our heart before God? That's what he's most concerned about. So what will happen if left untreated, if, we're, if, if this continues on in our lives? What will happen? What happens if this problem isn't addressed? This situation displeases God. Let's read verse 9 again. Verse 9 of Malachi 1. And, how plead, and, how, and now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? Will he show any of you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. Hmm. It's enough that this isn't pleasing to God, but there's more. It's also going to affect us if we don't recognize and deal with this issue in our lives. We got to handle this issue. We got to take care of this. Verse 10 says, I wish that someone among you would shut the temple doors. Imagine, let's just close church. Let's just not even meet up for church. Let's close the church down. Shut the temple down. It says right there, shut the temple door so that these worthless sacrifices would not be offered. Sometimes I, I really believe. God is saying, man, some of these churches nowadays here in America should just shut down. Just go home. Just not even have service because it's worth the sacrifice to God. And he's saying it. This isn't the word of God. It's not me saying it, you guys. It's in scripture right here. So that these worthless sacrifices cannot be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of Almighty. And I will not accept your offerings, the, messenger, the message says. Why does one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion with this silly empty-headed worship that god does not like silly empty-headed worship playing religion and just you know not being serious not being not taking god serious i think sometimes as christians we don't take god serious we don't take his word serious we don't take church serious and i think we should when we give god less than our best god says you may as well have kept the doors closed at church I'm not into religion that's a show and that costs nothing. What does it cost you? Does it cost you anything to follow Christ? Does it cost you anything to worship God? Asking those ourselves that question. God isn't into playing the religion game. When we give God our second best and our leftovers, our worship is a sham. It's a condition that is dangerous to our spiritual health. I told you guys it's going to be a little bit of a harder reduced message, but hey, it's for me too. Not for you, it's for all of us. I'm in the boat with you guys. Amen. The best I have to give. What is the best I have to give? At this point, it seems like all of this is about something a long time ago and far away. Yeah, we they sacrificed animals back then, but we don't do that today, right? We're not out there sacrificing animals. <clears throat> we don't give God sacrifice anymore. We don't know what it means to give God this seized 
animals. The same, same principle applies today, though. Romans 12 tells us that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord, right? Ourselves, me and you, as living sacrifices to God. The reality is that we are in the same situation. God announces his love to us. God loves you guys, and I keep repeating that. God loves us. That is good news. He is worthy of our worship. Worship that is not in a one hour a day, once a week, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're in danger to offering God what is good enough instead of what is our best, right? God isn't asking us to give us his best because he needs our best. Sometimes we think like, oh, what does God need from you and what does God need from me? Does God need anything from us, you guys? Nothing, right? God doesn't need anything from me or from you. He's not short of money. Does God need money? No, right? He's got it all. And he doesn't need any of us to give him anything that he doesn't already have. The issue is our hearts. Again, our hearts. My heart and your heart. The issue is making sure God is the priority of our lives. Is God the priority of your life? Ask yourself that question. Don't answer. Is God priority in my life? I want to clarify a couple of things before we explore what this might look like in our lives. Guilt is not the goal of this passage, you guys. I'm not trying to hear guilt, you guys, and make you guys feel bad. That's not my, my intent. Guilt is not the goal of this passage. It's easy to take a passage like this and make everyone feel bad. Oh, man, what a downer sermon today. Passages, you know, it's really making me feel bad. Guilt doesn't have to get, uh, doesn't get us any closer to dealing with the heart issue. You might feel bad, but you still will live the same way, right? Guilt is not an issue here. I don't want to motivate you guys by guilt. You have to make changes, and they'll and they'll last about a week. So if you're motivated by guilt, you'll make a quick change here and there, and it'll last a week, and then you'll go back to what you were doing before. But no more. God didn't give us this passage to make us feel guilty. He gave it to us so that we would recognize the issue and deal with the heart issues that keep us from worshiping God as we should. It's a heart issue. Is our heart changed? Is our heart transformed? The question is, are we born again? Are we new creatures in Christ? Do we love what God loves? Do we hate what God hates? Have we been regenerated? Has God done a supernatural work in our lives? Has he? Something to ask yourself that. Because I can't save you, and your parents can't save you, and your mom can't save you, and your brother or sister can't save you, or nobody in your family can save you. Only God can save you. Only God does the work of salvation in our lives, right? God didn't give us this passage to make us feel guilty. God is asking us for his best, but it's not about technique. He wants our hearts. He wants your heart, you guys. He wants my heart. But it's not about our feelings. Let's think about what it might look like in our lives. Let's get into the application. Today's sermon will be a little shorter, but let's let's talk about the application. How does this apply to my life? How does this how does this live out in my life? Time. Who here has time? Who here doesn't have time? Who here doesn't often have time? Time is our most valuable resource, right? Most of us are time starved. We're so busy. You got jobs, you got kids, you got duties to do, things to do. You're 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 I don't got time. I'm just busy. When are we gonna meet for lunch? I don't know. I gotta check my schedule. I'm so busy. I got a lot of things going on in my life. Who here is busy? We all are, right? We're all busy. We all could use a few more hours a day, right? Man, I wish the day was longer. I wish there was more hours in the day. 
The result of this is that we're often cut, that we're often cut from out from what is important in favor of what is urgent. What is urgent? What is priority? What is number one in your to-do list? God is important, but is he rarely, he is rarely urgent. Sometimes God is not urgent in your life. He's like at the end or the bottom of the list. The busier life gets, the more we cut back on having enough time for God. Do we, got, do we have time for God? Do you come to church? Do you, have, do you go to Bible study? Do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Do you spend time alone with God? That's something, a question you got to ask yourself. All of our time is God's. Would we not agree with that? All of our time is God's? All 24 hours, seven days a week. But he doesn't expect us to quit our jobs and do nothing else but focus on him. It's not God is asking, oh yeah, quit everything and just focus on me. God is not asking that from us. Don't get it wrong. Don't get confused. But what would it look like to give God our best time? What would it look like to give God our best time? Not our leftover time. Not the time we didn't need. Oh yeah, well, if I have time, then I'll, I'll give that to God. Right? Not when we're at our worst. What would it look like to give God the best of our most valuable thing that we don't have enough of already? Time is the currency of relationships. Wouldn't you say that if you spend time with someone, it means you really love them and care about them? Right? But if you don't spend enough time with them, then does it really matter? If we start a relationship of time, pretty soon there's no relationship at all, right? What happens to marriages when you don't spend time with your spouse? You grow further apart, you start not fighting or whatever, you start just, you know, it starts drifting away. It's not bad for a relationship. It's bad for a relationship to be away from one another, right? So what happens if you don't spend time with God at all? Do you think, can you say you love God but not spend any time with Him? You'd be lying, right? The mother with three young children, the commuter who leaves for work early and gets home late. Those of us who live in real life with real pressures, are we figuring out how to reflect God's worth in our schedules? Are we figuring out how to reflect God's worth in our schedules? Does he show up when we're at our best? Is God there when things are going well in your life? Or is it only when things are going bad that you're actually seeking and going after God? Hmm. Pretty good question to ask, right? Reflect. Sometimes we seek God when things are bad, but not when things are good. Sometimes my life has gotten out of control, and I end up being so busy that God gets my time when I'm beat, when I'm exhausted, when I'm tired. If he gets any time at all, what would it look like to give God a portion of your time, the best portion in your life, right? Maybe early in the morning, wake up a little extra early and spend time with God, right? The second one, money. I know we don't like talking about that topic here at church, but money. The average evangelical Christian gives 4.2% of their income to the church. 4.2%. That's two-fifths of a tithe. One-sixth of Christians give no money at all to the church. Surprisingly, the, much, the more money a person makes, the less likely they are to tithe. Good news is that God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need mine or your money, right? God has enough money already. He doesn't need any of ours. It's not our money that he needs, but he wants our heart, and the heart is somehow attached to the wallet. Jesus said that our heart somehow follows our treasure. Our heart follows our treasure, what you prize, what you love. 
He says, wherever your treasure is, there is your heart and thoughts will also be. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your thoughts and your heart will also be. This is getting personal, but I need to ask, what would it look like if we have God, not our leftover, if we gave God not our leftover money, but that which we didn't need? Sometimes, well, if I have enough, I'll give God this. What would it look like if we gave God our first and our best? It's pretty, I mean, that's, that's what God wants from us. Worship, the next point, worship. Worship is both a lifestyle, how we live, and an act. So how you live and an act. And here I'm talking about acts of worship personally and together. I'm talking about the times we spend worshiping God alone. This is the, your quiet time, your devotion time, you and God only. As well as how we come together to worship God together as a church here on a Sunday. In this passage, God challenges the people. He says, you wouldn't treat your governor this way. He says that. You wouldn't treat your governor this way. When God has our hearts, what does that look like in how we worship? How does that look like in how we worship? Does it affect how we prepare for corporate worship before we ever leave the house? Maybe trying to be on time to church? Leaving a little earlier? Maybe, does it affect how we prepare for corporate worship before we even, even leave the house? What, it, what does it affect that what we do the night before? Maybe going to bed earlier the night before? Not going out and doing things because you know that you got to be at church the next day early? It, affect, it may affect how we how our heart is engaged as how we come to worship. Because we gotta come, we gotta take seriously worship. We gotta be ready to prepare our hearts to worship our God, right? It's a big thing. It's not a little trivial thing. It will definitely remind me that I am not the point of worship. So not the pastor, not the preacher, not the musician. Nobody here who leads the service is the point of worship. God is. Amen. God is the center focus of all that we do here at Acts Reform Church. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the center focus point. The point isn't my enjoyment. The point is God. It's not if you feel like, I mean, sometimes we don't feel like worshiping God. And let's just get out of that. Man, I got to worship God because he's worthy of our worship. Amen? And the last point before we finish is service. Service. I've noticed that a lot of Christian organizations have lower standards of service than non-religious ones. Actually, here as a church, in Acts Reform Church, we've been having a lot of church meetings lately as we prepare our move to the new building, right? So what happens when the ball is dropped and is getting dropped all over and it seems like everyone who could do something about it is okay with it? Huh. We can say this would never be tolerated in the business world. It's crazy that it's tolerated when the organization is a Christian one or a church. Our standard isn't serving, and serving God is supposed to be higher. I don't know how many of you here are in the corporate world or in a business, and you guys, well, you guys got to do your job right, right? Because if not, you get reprimanded, or you get, you might even get fired, lose your job. So in the church, we sometimes say, oh, it's grace, grace, but sometimes we got to do it unto God, right? Everything that we do should be done unto the glory of God, amen? Even the little things, even sweeping, cleaning, moving the chairs, everything we do. We built a stage yesterday, it was for God, amen? It's for His glory, it's for His honor. What does it look like when we give God the best of our service? Whatever it is that you're going to do, whatever ministry, whatever talent God has given you, do it unto Him. Amen? If you sing, if you play an instrument, 
do it unto the Lord. Amen? It means dealing with issues, not accepting sloppiness. We shouldn't be a church of sloppiness or lateness or not following through on what we said that we would do. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We're doing it unto God. We're not doing it for other people here. Amen? I realize I'm meddling here and I'm going to stop. The last thing I want to do is to motivate you to feel guilty. I know, man. Some of you guys are like, man, Pastor Kevin really brought it today telling me all the bad things that I'm doing in my life. But be motivated. God loves you. He cares about you. He died for you. Amen? Amen. What I'm going to ask you is to, uh, is what God would say as he looks at your life. He's giving you the good news. He loves you. The bad news is that we're in danger of spiritual condition of giving God less than our best. Do not give God less than your best. I'd like you to spend a few minutes asking God what it would look like for you to give God your best. The best in your life when it comes to God. God, good enough is not good enough for God. He wants the best. But this is not all that we see in Malachi. I think there's something more here. There is an even bigger picture than this because we do not see this type of worship happening today. God is not feared and exalted in every nation and in all places. God said that he will be feared and exalted in all places nations and all places. We still live in a world dominated by evil one and under the power of sin. Malachi is looking forward to a future time, to a future kingdom in which God will reign and God will rule. Let's, and let's read uh, Revelation chapter 7. The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. Look, we, did, we read the last book of the Old Testament, and now we're in the last book of the New Testament. Verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white clothes and palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? And all the angels were standing around. Let me read one more verse. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the big picture. This is where it all is going. This is our final end time when we will be with him and worship him forever. This is what we're longing for, what we're looking forward to. But if we forget who God is or we do go, or, or we just go through the motions or we lose sight of the big t picture, then we will come short in our worship, in our everyday worship. I'm talking about every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We will not get worship right. And my goal here as pastors, me and Jaro, is to help you guys get worship right, doing it the right way. As I, as we wrap this up, it's easy for us to see our shortcomings. Not, no one in this room gets worship right all the time. We all mess up. It's okay. I mess up. We all mess up. But we do not come to worship based on our own goodness or our own perfect record. We come as those who have been declared right by God because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Amen? We worship because what he has done, not because of what we have done. Thank God for the gospel, for the good news. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for dealing with us on this issue. 
Thanks for dealing gently with us this morning, even though some of us, I mean, it, it, even myself, as I was studying for this, I was convicted. We love you. Thanks for your promise that when we put our, when we put your kingdom first and it's righteous, everything else that we need will come along with it. May, may we, may you have the best that we have to give, Lord. May we give you the best that we got. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.